Well, they, we do things a certain way in the community of faith. We like things a certain way. We worship a certain way, including at a certain time. We dress a certain way, pre prepare and eat food a certain way. But this supposed rabbi, this Jesus, takes it all too far in his effort to, I guess, reach out to those outside of the community. The lectionary also gives us this morning a reading from 2 Corinthians in which Paul writes, In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the me message of reconciliation to us. Uh, I was thinking, first of all, when I start looking ahead to prepare for preaching and I see, oh, the parable of the prodigal son, I thought, oh, brother. Which is a little ironic when you think of the parable, right? But I, I mean, Paul had just done a great job uh, preaching on a, a portion of it. I've been preaching on it for the better part of my adult life. And, you know, what else is there to say? When I say the parable of the prodigal son, those of you who have been coming to church for most of your lives immediately know. You, you, you kind of have the basis of the story, uh, maybe the moral of the story. And yet, even while I was listening to Brent read that story again, I could just start to pick out other other places, other angles. There's, it's so deep and layered, and this is true for so much of Scripture. I, 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 I imagine that I could preach every Sunday on this parable uh, for the rest of uh, the time I serve as a pastor and, and find new and fresh um, perspectives. Find my place in it. The world around us changes. We change. Um, and the story is living and active um, I was wondering, though, as I looked at it this time around, um, I, I was thinking about famous people, and most, most, most people, or at least many of us, have a story of a close encounter with a, with a celebrity, a famous person, maybe a, a famous politician. How many of you have such a, an encounter? <laughs> Almost everybody. Yell them out. Be brave. Who, who, did you, who did you meet or talk to or see in person? Me too. I'm sorry? President Eisenhower. Wow, that is fantastic. So, so far we've got Bono and President Eisenhower. I mean, I guess we could stop there, you know? <laughs> Couple others. Derek Jeter. Kent Hervek, absolutely. Although my sister went to school with him, but, uh, you know. He went to Bloomington Kennedy, yeah. But that's a good one. Um, yeah, so uh, these encounters, we tend to remember them, right? Well, there's, there's, one, uh, there's one of mine that I, I very rarely bring up, uh, and that is uh, when I met Lance Armstrong. Um, so there we are. I'm waiting for like a, a boo or a hiss to emanate from the congregation. <laughs> um, this, uh, this picture, maybe it's a little dark, I don't know if you can see it all right, but the, 
Uh, Lance and I uh, were at a, an event together. It was World AIDS Day in 2002. It also happened to have been the first Sunday of Advent that year. And we were at an event in Omaha raising awareness and, and funding for AIDS and debt relief in Africa. And Lance was a, a speaker, a presenter, um, along with uh, some other famous uh, people that were there. Uh, and uh, I had a great conversation with him on that, uh, during that event. Um, at the time, he had recovered from his uh, cancer, which was a devastating uh, prognosis and uh, treatment protocol. It went from his brain uh, throughout his body and uh, was looking pretty dire there. And uh, uh, he, he was blessed to recover from that. And then, as we know, he went on by this time to win the uh, Tour de France bicycle race, one of the most grueling athletic uh, competitions on the planet. He had won it three times, I believe, by this time. And I was standing and having a conversation with him and a famous um, sports reporter with Sports Illustrated at the time talking about whether or not Lance was going to ride in the next Tour de France. He wasn't committing to it uh, this evening. Uh, at any rate, he did go on to ride in the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and he won them all, uh, seven in a row ultimately. But then there began to be this uh, growing suspicion and accusations and, and investigations about his doping uh, and in the sport, but his in particular. And, and along the way, Armstrong sort of half-fessed up to it, and then later he was forced to, you know, more fully admit to uh, having taken uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And then he went nuclear and sat down with Oprah, which, uh, uh, which is kind of the big right last resort of uh, an apology tour. But even that didn't work. People weren't satisfied. There was no public redemption available for Lance Armstrong. And so I almost never show this picture to anybody. <laughs> so don't say anything to anyone, right? <laughs> We're beaming it out across the world. Um, get it off of there, Nick. Um, well, I think if we're honest, we would say we kind of eat these public apologies, this public Graveling, especially when we think someone has it coming. We eat them up. They make for compelling TV. We like to watch people squirm. That one really didn't sound sincere. You know, he really didn't own up to what he's done with that apology. We rate them and rank them. And there are some noteworthy apologies in the Bible. Of course, we have one before us again today with the younger son's apology and the great story of reconciliation, usually referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, but other people would like to call it other things because they believe uh, that points to perhaps the, not exactly the point of the story. Maybe it, it should involve a, a title that involves the, the forgiving father, for instance, or, you know, 
the unforgiving older brother. There's lots of other perspectives to take. And it's, it's good for us. I backed this up just a, little, a couple of verses prior to where the lectionary actually begins because I think it's good for us to remind ourselves of why Jesus tells this, this famous story. It was when some well-respected religious folk, some Pharisees, were grumbling, Luke tells us, which is a great word to have in the Bible, right? I mean, grumbling. They were grumbling that Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's what they were upset about. And it sounds, you know, ridiculous to our ears. Well, we do things a certain way in the community of faith. We like things a certain way. We worship a certain way, including at a certain time. We dress a certain way, prepare and eat food a certain way. But this supposed rabbi, this Jesus, takes it all too far in his effort to, I guess, reach out to those outside of the community. He welcomes sinners and he breaks bread with them, which is just a a religiously loaded communal activity. And in response to all of that grumbling, Jesus tells this story. This story never sits outside of the context of faithful religious people grumbling that Jesus reaches out, breaks bread with people outside of the religious community. Sinners. So, Jesus tells this story, and we all know the basics of it. In an agrarian society, there's a landowner and his family, and he's got two sons, and one goes to his father and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, which is to say, Dad, I'm going to give you up as dead. I can't wait for you to die. Looks like you're, you, know, you keep working so hard and eating right. I'm, I don't know when you're going to go, so I'll take my inheritance now. And he goes off to a foreign land, try to make his own way. Maybe he'll be successful. Maybe he invests. We don't know exactly what he does with his money. Maybe he'll end up a landowner like his father. The older brother stays put, keeps working, keeps his nose to the grindstone. Eventually, one way or another, the younger brother blows the money. He's not successful. He's feeding pigs in a foreign land, and he says to himself, gee, even the people who work the land on my father's estate have something to eat. So, he concocts his own apology. And his is far better than Lance Armstrong's ever was. It's short, it's tight, it's well-written. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It's just perfect. I'll give up the family name. I don't deserve it any longer. I know I've sinned against God. I know I've sinned against you, which is to have I've sinned against the whole community. I don't I don't need to carry the last name anymore. I'm I'm not worthy to be part of the family. I just want a job, Dad. 
Now, if you're going to rate this apology, the first thing we notice is that he finally says it only after his father has forgiven him. Note that in the parable, before the boy even speaks, the father sees the youngest son coming and he, and he takes off running toward him. An unseemly thing for a patriarch, a landowner, to be doing, running in public. Well, you can picture the neighbors peering out of their front doors thinking, oh boy, finally that little brat is going to get what he has coming. Look at this. Everybody, get out here on the porch. Look at old man Anderson is, is running to meet him before he even crosses the property line. The only question now is whether or not that ungrateful son will still be among the living after his father closes the distance. Nobody would have faulted him, accused him, convicted him. Well, wait, wait a minute. Get the binoculars. Is, is he hugging him? Is he embracing him or is he choking him? What, what is going on over there? Much to everyone's horror, once it becomes clear, the old man embraces his youngest child. He puts a robe on him, which would have been his own robe. He didn't have spares in some closet. And a ring on his finger. And the neighbors and the Pharisees and the disciples, who all in their own ways inspired Jesus to tell this story, are thinking, no wonder the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we might notice that it's only here, it's only now, it's only then, at this moment, when it's quite safe and perfectly obvious what is going to happen, that the kid remembers to spit out his scripted apology, right? He's wearing a robe now, he's got a ring, dad's hugging him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants, says the kid with the ring and the robe. You know, the second problem with his apology is that it just doesn't ring sincere. I mean, he, he hatches this whole go home and say sorry plan after he's hit rock bottom. He's not returning because he misses his big brother, clearly, or his father, or anybody else in the family. He's run through the inheritance money. He's had to take a really lousy job for a, you know, a Jewish kid, feeding slop to pigs and wishing you could have some of it to eat for yourself. How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, but here I am dying of hunger. The whole motivation for going home and apologizing looks fairly self-serving, doesn't it? He never reflects on the pain he has caused his father. There's no moral reckoning about his choices. The kids in a bind 
And this is the only way out, if even this will work. Even so, whether the neighbors like it or not, whether we like it or not, and this parable has caused grinding of teeth in the church from the earliest days. You can read where church fathers argue over the meaning of this story. It can't possibly mean what it seems to say. Either way, the story ends with reconciliation. The son is, in fact, welcomed home. Welcomed back into the family. We can just about hear the neighbor's doors slamming. The father's reputation will never recover from this. Natalia mentioned Barbara Brown Taylor last week. I was there when she was preaching on this parable 15 years ago in Chicago. And she said this, here in 21st century Chicago, there is nothing remarkable about a young man deciding to leave his father's home, where he will never be anything but the baby brother, to go seek his fortune in the world. This is so American that it's hard to remember that this boy is not from southern Illinois. From Daniel Boone to Lance Armstrong, she actually said that day. The rugged individual is a national icon. The younger son did what young men are born to do. He may have hurt his father in the process, but his father understood, since he probably did the same thing himself. The difference was that the father made good, but the son did not. And remember, she finally says, remember that the family crime in this story is not addiction or sexual or physical abuse. The family crime is undue forgiveness. It is undeserved love. That is what the elder brother will condone if he walks through the door and joins the party. It's not his younger brother's behavior but his father's outlandish love and forgiveness. This is the story that Jesus told those who are concerned about the fact that he has been caring too much about the wrong people. Outsiders welcoming sinners and breaking bread with them. And this story, as I said, has been a problem for the church ever since. That Jesus plays fast and loose with our favorite rules and traditions. That Jesus appears to be soft on crime. The Bible doesn't deal really so much with apologies. Scripture deals far more with the notion of our Lenten theme of metanoia or Turning, repentance, the root word of apology in the Greek word is logia, meaning words. Apologies are words. They can be important words, often necessary words, but they are but words. Metanoia, on the other hand, literally means to change our direction. 
and go in a new way. In other words, repentance isn't so much about what you say as it is about what direction you're moving in. Where do you find yourself this time around in this story? Do you feel a little lost in a foreign land? Maybe unsure of your own identity as a child of God. Maybe you feel like you're going in the wrong direction. Does the world feel out of whack to you? Too many of your favorite things changing or even disappearing? Or maybe if you're honest with yourself, you see some of the disapproving neighbor or the status quo Pharisee in yourself. Are you the well-behaved older sibling? Unable to see beyond your own notions of fairness? Looking to be rewarded for your years of good behavior? Worship attendance, service, giving? Listen. We're all in there somewhere. So while you're stewing on all of that, let me throw this into the mix. In the past three Sundays in a row, we have seen little ones come forward to this font, carried forward, each of them, to hear that no matter where they end up running off to in this world, they go marked with the cross of Christ forever. Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, before any of them was able to say a word about it, God Almighty came running to claim them as God's own child. Because in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Or let me just put it one more time this way. In Christ, God was reconciling you to himself, not counting your trespasses against you, and trusting the message of reconciliation to you. You are one of God's own children. God the Father Almighty comes running again today with this gospel to let you know where you stand. Beloved, forgiven child. It's that same event there uh, in Omaha uh, when I met Lance Armstrong. I also met Bono. I just texted a picture up to Nick. Maybe he can. I heard someone yell Bono out there. Yeah. So uh, uh, th this was in a basement of a Methodist church outside of a Sunday school room. And that night, uh, Bono and I over a couple of Heinekens were arguing a little bit over the place of the church in these big social issues in the world. He was feeling like Though he's an active, engaged, and uh, 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 deeply thoughtful Christian, he uh, 
He thought the church was lazy and just kind of checked out on these big issues. And I wanted to argue with him that the church, Bono, and especially in Africa, it's already there. It's everywhere. We have little outposts in every village, everywhere you go. You can't, you can't give up on the church. And uh, that night, he, uh, Lydia was four, our oldest at the time, I guess. Yeah, wrote a little note to her and drew her picture because she's a big U2 fan already at age four. And I put him on the phone, and we woke up a good friend of mine out east uh, who's a huge U2 fan. And can you imagine? Uh, he's like, Allison, because his wife is also Allison, was Allison out east. Uh, this is Bono, you know, for how long it took for her to come to grips that it actually was him and had a lovely conversation with her. We've all had our close encounters with famous people, perhaps, along the way, but we leave this morning uh, with the reality that we are chosen, forgiven children of God. So anybody who encounters you during the rest of this day, the rest of this week, has drawn close to one of God's own children. And that ought to be a blessing to them. And I believe it will be. So we go in peace. Love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.